Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey everyone, welcome back. And if this is your first time listening, thanks for joining me. If content marketing is your thing, I've got one you won't want to miss today. But first, I want to say 2018 is the year that audio content is going to take off in the life sciences. If you're listening to this, you already know what makes audio such a great medium. You can listen while you're doing something else. You feel yourself in the story or the conversation, and your mind is open to playing with the new ideas as they come in. I'll just remind you, there are scientists at the bench who appreciate those very same things and are looking for new and interesting content. I see it happening all around, and I'm going to have more episodes coming where you can see that in action. Personally, I'm going all in on audio content this year in several forms. Last fall, I created audio content for a client around a customer learning event so that they can dribble that content out over the year promote next year's event, turn it into written content, and get a lot more out of that event. I see interest in using audio to educate salespeople as they spend hours in their car going from one appointment to the next. And I recently created another podcast completely outside of science and marketing. It's a love letter to the sport of swimming called Flip Turns, where people tell amazing stories of how swimming has changed or even saved their lives. I'll leave it at that for now. Today's guest I met and interviewed at the ACPLS meeting last fall. This year's meeting, I'll just remind you, is going to be in San Francisco this October. Go to acp-ls.org to learn more. Ian Lurie knows how to make content marketing work from ideation to analytics. This episode is not long, but it is full of usable information, so I highly recommend you take notes on this one. Now, let's jump right in. Welcome back, everybody. This is Life Science Marketing Radio. I am again at ACPLS in Boston 2017, and I'm talking to Ian Lurie, who is the... CEO of Portent, a ClearLink company. Right. And that's why I paused because I know his company was recently sold and I thought, well, maybe, you know, his title is different, but still CEO yeah. of Portent. And so Ian, I just watched Ian give a great talk on content marketing titled um, Turning Content into Business. How do you create content and make sure it's, it's driving leads or whatever it is you're looking for and, and even revenue. So um, Ian, welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Um, what I liked your talk, so um, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are obviously interested in content and content creation and, and so on, and we've talked about repurposing in the past, so you and I think similarly on that. You started out with this analogy, um, two types of content. One was a unicorn. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And the other was a raft of chihuahuas. So just explain that. Well, okay, so there's this concept in our industry of unicorn content, which was coined by someone named Larry Kim. It's a really good idea, which is coming up with completely unique stuff. And instead of trying to do kind of one-off, you know, really quick stuff, focus on doing the really unusual things. Um, the raft of chihuahuas 
is what we end up getting the option of doing, which is where our clients, our bosses come and say, do lots and lots and lots of content. Um, the thing I most often tell people is actually look somewhere in between. We need more badgers um, because your badgers are self-sufficient uh, and unicorns just don't happen that often. Uh, but the chihuahuas is what we usually end up with. So, Right. So, And you had a framework that starts with, if I recall correctly, uh, integration, mm-hmm. resources. You're going to have to help me. Repurposing. Let's see if I get it all. Um, approval. Mm-hmm. And... Um, prove it. Analytics, it right? yes. Analytics. Yes, that's Bingo. right. So, um, and you pointed out some resources that I thought were actually pretty helpful. So, um, you're not a big fan of brainstorming. And I'm, a, I'm apparently in the minority, but no, I don't like brainstorming. And uh, one of the resources that you pointed out, um, for example, is... Um, answerthepublic.com. Mm-hmm. So when you've done things in life sciences, has that been useful? It has. Um, you have to dig a lot deeper for highly technical topics like life sciences, uh, but it can be very useful. If it is not, then I usually tell people to go to Stack Exchange, which has, for life sciences, it has a whole biology section. Uh, also, you can go onto Google and just start typing a question or a topic or a term, and then it uses this thing called Google Suggest, and you'll see that drop down that shows all these other things people search for, and that's not a bad place to go to. Right, and just to let people know, what we're talking about here is getting ideas for what content we ought to create. Right? Yeah, it's the reason I don't like brainstorming is because it's telling you what you want to write. Looking at Answer the Public or something like that is telling you what your audience wants you to write. Yeah, exactly. I love that idea, definitely. Um, and also, you went and for, you gave an example of going to SlideShare, see what was popular there, mm-hmm. and then and how would you use that? So, for example, you go to SlideShare, you see a topic that is popular, then you just say, "I'm going to create something different, better." Are you skyscrapering on that? I'm not a big fan of the skyscraper method. What I do on SlideShare is I'll find something really popular um, if I have a different point of view. Or if I think I can expand on it in a, in a real way, I might do that. But also, I'll look at the most popular slides in that slide share. So on SlideShare, you can clip slides. Um, so if a lot of people click one uh, clip one slide, I might go into more depth on that. And I have to admit, I usually do that with my own stuff. But I'll also, you know, you can take a look at someone else's. Um, and without ripping off their content, you can provide genuinely valuable information. In fact, sometimes I'll even reach out to the author of that slide deck and say, hey, I wrote more about this, uh, and they will often share it. Nice, yeah. And then um, another key element, and I, I found this interesting, because I'm big on planning. Mm-hmm. And maybe in a similar way, looking at, thinking about the questions your customers are going to have, and, and building your content, assembling it around that. But you said structure was more important than planning. And then mm-hmm. you have this framework for your structure, which involved a ski analogy and then the level of branding. Mm-hmm. So talk about those things and how they fit in. So we break content up into three types as far as difficulty and three types as far as level of branding. Um, so what we'll look at is We look at green circle, blue square, black diamond content. And if you know skiing, you know what those are. But even if not, green circle is content you can produce maybe once a week. 
It may be anything. It may be a blog post. It may be a tweet. It may be a product page, whatever. Uh, Blue Square is content you can produce once a month, which may mean all you can do is a blog post, or it's an entire new product page, or it's something much more in-depth. Um, and then Black Diamond content is something you can probably only do once a quarter. Uh, and that generally is going to be things like entire new product lines, so content for a whole new product line, or um, content for you know, like a comic book, literally explaining something, something like that, uh, a podcast maybe. Um, and then branding level, you have lightly, moderately, and heavily branded content. So lightly branded is something where whatever you're writing, you're answering a question and there's really no mention of your brand. It's probably on your website. So the only mention of your brand is the web page template itself. Um, moderately branded has the solution, but in the context of whatever it is that you offer. So I'm going to go to my radish cooker analogy. Um, if you sell a radish cooker, then moderately branded content would be, here is a radish recipe, and here is how you can use our cooker to prepare it, where the person reading it could go do it themselves using a different product, but it's really easy if you just use their product. Uh, and then heavily branded is the straight pitch. Here's our product. Please go buy it. And notice, heavily branded content is still content. So product pages, things like that, that is still content. All right, content does not mean blog posts. Right. Um, I have to ask, is there such a thing as a radish cooker, or did you make that up? I thought I was making it up, and then someone sent me a whole bunch of links to radish cookers. So apparently, yes, you can cook radishes. I don't know why you would do that, but um, it's like pumpkin-flavored chocolate. It just seems completely wrong to me. Um, <laughs> so talk about... Um the integration aspect of it. So you're starting out with some green circle content, mm -hmm. lightly branded, and this is a thing that um, I think a lot of companies miss, but making sure that people are moving through your content and you don't just throw mm -hmm. it out and hope something happens. Yeah. You can almost think, I mean, the classic funnel analogy is not the worst. So you would put lightly branded content spanning the top of the funnel, uh, and it's used to capture a very broad audience, whether it's One Piece or, or it's the herd of chihuahuas or whatever. I don't know if it's flock or herd or what. Um, and then the middle, you know, at the middle of the funnel is probably the moderately branded, and you're narrowing down how many people you have. Uh, and then at the bottom of the funnel is you're heavily branded. So it goes, we have an answer for you. You can use our product to get to that answer. Just use our product. And you're, you connect that content. So if you have that lightly branded piece, You'll say, hey, if you want to learn more, go check out this. And the this is the moderately branded. So maybe the lightly branded you talk about, here's how you separate one substance from another. Uh, the second one is, here's, how you, here's the actual step-by-step -step process. Um, and we're going to use our product as an example. And then the third level, the heavily branded, is just get our product. And it will do this process for you. So the question I always have on this, and I think about it pretty much the same way, but I'm always thinking... Um, how many customers actually, like, they read this, they get the link, they go to the, you know, moderately mm -hmm. branded content and then go right to the thing? Is, do you see in your analytics that it actually works that way? Or do people go lightly branded, moderately branded, leave the site, come back another time, go to another moderately branded thing and then finish the funnel? I'm just curious of your sense of Oh, it's the messy. Flow. It's really, really messy. Um, it's rare that you'll see that nice, clean flow. Uh, you know, what we do is we rely on seeing that once in a blue moon to tell us that something's actually working. Generally, it's far messier than that. Um, 
the way most analytics packages work, they'll track someone for up to 90 days, assuming that person doesn't clean out their cookies. So we can generally look back pretty well uh, and get a good idea. So you take someone who, for example, who downloaded your ebook, mm-hmm. you look backwards at their steps. Mm-hmm. And does that cover multiple sessions? So we're not going to try and track individuals. We're going to look at Ian downloaded the ebook and became a client. But before the download, we're not going to look at this was Ian looking at these things. Generally, what we're going to do is just say all these people looked at these things and then downloaded the ebook. And we know that Ian, Jane and Joan all downloaded, all became clients because of that. Um, So we start very with very anonymized content. It's much easier. Um, And you don't want to gate lightly branded content. You don't want to make people log in or fill out a form, uh, which would be the only way you could really track that. So, okay. Yeah. I didn't, um, my Google analytics knowledge is light to moderate. (laughs) And I'm just thinking about, uh, could you, you know, cause I know there, there is user information, even if you don't know who it is in there and, and connect sessions that would kind of tell you, Oh yeah, here's, there's, there's some very spooky stuff you can do with mobile devices um, that we avoid. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people appreciate that. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing you said, um, and I think this is relevant, and I don't know how you want to talk about it, but whatever you want to say is use what you have, not what you wish you had. Talk about that a little bit. So as a, as a writer myself... You know, I often wish I had a huge design team. Uh, I often wish I had a giant you know, development team. And even as the executive vice president, which is my other title, by the way, um, at ClearLink, uh, I only have access to so many things. So what I do know I have is a certain set of tools and skills of my own. Uh, and instead of holding up content production because I don't have those resources, those other resources, I'm going to target what I do to what I know how to do. Um, And what I talked about in the session was like using Markdown to create my content, which makes it easier to create the HTML, Um, you know, using Canva to create my graphics, things like that. Yeah, Canva is huge. I know there's a few people in this organization who Mm -hmm. are advocates of it. I I enjoy it when I need it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the thing I struggle with the most, honestly, is image searching. Yeah. Uh, and so be able to create your own little banners. If you just had a, you know, for me, often a photo of a guest, for mm-hmm. example, would be sufficient. And then I could put something mm-hmm. around it, which I haven't done yet, but it's on my list. So you mentioned Markdown. I think this is a helpful thing for people to mm-hmm. understand. Explain what that is. So Markdown is this very simple text-based syntax that, for example, you use a single pound sign before a phrase to make it a level one heading. You use two pound signs to make a level two heading. Uh, you use asterisk to create uh, a bulleted list. Um, and it turns all that into whatever format you want it to be. So you can convert that to Microsoft Word format. You can convert it to HTML, which is what most people do. Um, and it just makes it easier because you don't need to learn HTML. Uh, and you can single source your content, write it in a text editor, any text editor you want, uh, and convert it to anything else you want. It'll be something you can read 20 years from now and open in any piece of software. Um, it's just highly portable. Uh, it's very robust because of the technology, um, and it's very easy to learn. The learning curve is very, very brief. I, I like that because, um, I mean, I, I was thinking about how to put it into Word and PDFs mm-hmm. and web pages, 
And then presumably the, the style sheets, for example, in a web page would know what the H1 and H2 mm-hmm. styles are and, and make all that happen for you. So, um, and maybe if you're using outsourced writers, a really, exactly. a really good way to save their time and your money, have them send you that and then you lay it in and pops up beautifully. Really good example for us is we have all of our learning, all of our corporate knowledge in this one wiki for Portent, and now we're moving it all to ClearLink. It was all written originally in Markdown. So instead of having to copy everything out of that one wiki and then restyle it, we're just taking the Markdown and dropping it directly into their wiki, and there's no additional formatting required. Also great for companies who are merging. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Save a lot of effort on the Mm -hmm. Mm rebrand. Fantastic. Um, You talked about being graphics independent with... Canva and not using stock photos yeah. for brand safety reasons, mm-hmm. which I think is uh, people in this industry relate to. So when I worked at Varian, um, you know, th- let's just say that there was a stock photo of a woman scientist who showed up on you know other people's brochures, mm-hmm. the same person mm-hmm. that we were using. So that was a great, great little tidbit there. And then uh, this, of course, is the most important thing. You talked about repurposing and being efficient with your content creation, and you had data on the actual monetary benefit of that. Talk about that. So just by being efficient, and I will admit this is not scientific research. This was very kind of informal talking to clients and things, but we figured out very conservatively they're saving 20 to 25% um, on the cost of content production, or they're increasing their output 20 to 25%, which I think is the better way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, it was actually higher than that, but I'm trying to, you know, be safe. Be safe. Yes, exactly. I thought that was great. I mean, if you think about what that means, it's the same thing as you're getting all your content done by Thursday and everybody goes home on Friday. Of Mm -hmm. course, they're not, but on Friday, they're making the content they would have made on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I actually, sorry, I actually did research on that for myself and I save about 12 hours a month using this little workflow so and so talk about the workflow what 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 exactly are you doing or your clients doing to save that 20 percent um so the biggest thing is again instead of having the huge brainstorming session you go find what your audience is asking that's generally much more efficient um uh for a whole bunch of reasons one is that it's just you uh Two, it's, it's easier because someone's already done the brainstorming for you, right? Your audience. So start with that. Then move directly into, you know, writing in Markdown. Um, don't use the content calendar. Use the structure, you know, the black diamond, blue square, green circle, and lightly, moderately, heavily branded. So that you have those general guidelines of what you want to produce. So there's less time involved in kind of figuring out what you're going to do. Um, then use all these little touches and tweaks that mean there's fewer round trips to other people and also just in your own brain. <laughs> so having the editorial workflow I talked about using Grammarly, using Hemingway, um, that, that saves a little bit of time. And then, you know, I just talked about round trips, reducing round trips because of mistakes, because of conversion issues. If you're using Markdown, you don't have to go back and tweak the way things lay out 15 times. Uh, and then finally, if you have something that's working, you repurpose it. Uh, it's a lot quicker to take a slideshare you created and turn it into a blog post or an ebook than it is to start from scratch, come up with the idea, structure it, and then, by the way, also go through approvals again 
um, because you have to get approval on this stuff. You know, compliance is a major issue. Uh, whereas if you take that slide deck that someone already approved and you write something based on it, it still has to go through approval, but it can be a lot easier process. Right. And the whole thing with repurposing, first of all, I, I love the workflow and um, the, the the round trip reduction, mm -hmm. huge. Because uh, every time somebody has to open something, take, that's a significant amount of wasted time, just yes. opening, yeah. saving, and whatever. Um, and then on the repurposing part, not only you know are you getting more content, but of course the purpose of that is you're reaching people in different places because not yeah. everybody looks for content in the same place. So um, everybody listening to this knows that um, we're big advocates of that. Um, You gave the example of these Moz videos um, where they do nice transcripts. We also talk about transcripts here, um, but the way they're, those guys are doing it is really nice. Um, if anybody isn't, hasn't gone to Moz to watch Whiteboard Fridays, they're always helpful. Um, Rand Fishkin does a great job on mm -hmm. those. And then um, Ian described how they take the transcript and make it really nice. They put images of the whiteboard inside that you know, polished mm -hmm. transcript. So, because transcripts honestly are kind of hard to read, right? Yes. I put them up on my website. There might be some search benefit to that, but really um, the transcript's a starting point for the next That's right. The next and step. I actually did a whiteboard Friday on Markdown, so you can go watch that. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yes. How do yes. you do a whiteboard Friday on Mark? Oh, about I, Markdown. About Markdown, yeah. Gotcha. About Markdown. Um, and that's on your site? No, it's on Moz's site. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, we will put a link to that in the show notes so awesome. everybody can find that. Um, and then let's talk about analytics. So last couple minutes here, tracking behavior to conversion. You know, um, you did this with a lead magnet to see, um, and this is, this came up in a couple sessions, um, at the ACPLS meeting about looking back through your analytics to see where the people who convert, where did they come from? Mm -hmm. So with content, what I did is I start with the, the lead magnet, the conversion point, and I work backwards to see what content is sending people to that content, um, to that conversion point. And actually, that conversion point doesn't have to be content. It could be anything. Um, and then I work back and say, all right, these pages on my site led people to that conversion point. So I know that they are leading to a desired action. Uh, we'll actually get even more sophisticated. And I didn't talk about this, but we'll look at you know, people who spend more than five minutes on the site are this, you know, are 50% more likely to convert the way we want them to. And then we look at everything on the site that leads to that kind of behavior. Uh, then we look past the conversion point and we look into our CRM or whatever else, because the conversion point is generally just a lead. We want to see if they turn into money. So we will go, we will go into our CRM and say, all right, everybody who hit this conversion point, how many of them actually became customers? And then we take that and we, we actually work the math backwards and figure out the value of a conversion, the value of a page view and the value of a visit. And that tells us how much we should spend acquiring those visits. Nice. Um, that is a nice little end to end story on creating content, turning it into money or business. Um, Ian, Lurie from Portent, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Did you take notes? I told you you should take notes on this one. Hey, if you didn't, you can always download the transcript on the webpage. 
Everything Ian talked about today is doable and relevant in our space. Will you do me a favor and share this podcast with someone you know who will benefit? They'll thank you and so will I. And if you're ready to think about that audio content I talked about at the beginning and how it can help your business, email me, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. I will talk to you in a couple of weeks.